year comes with new opportunities. God has already gone before us. As the scripture says, we are called to walk in the good works God has already planned for us. To do this well, we must be ready. Therefore, we are taking these 21 days of prayer and fasting to seek the Lord. Not only do we seek the Lord, but we ask the Lord to seek us, to reveal our hearts to us. Private work with the Lord always precedes public work for the Lord. So let's get ready for all God is going to do this year. It's time to begin with the preparation of consecration. All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good morning. Um, hey, a quick public service announcement. Look, I am uh, always glad when the house is full. This is good. This is good. Obviously, in light of uh, the world we're living in, uh, there is more space at the 9 a.m. That's all I'm saying, right? So if some of you could get up a little earlier, uh, maybe some of you normally go there. The last few weeks, the 11 uh, has been very full, which is once again great. Praise God. Uh, if you could come to the 9, if that's possible for you, I'm just going to throw that out there, okay? Just a little pastoral encouragement uh, for all of us to do our best. And if you're sacrificed to make this uh, uh, the most safe gathering it can be is to get up a little earlier uh, that would be killer. I know some of you serve both services and all that. I get that. But maybe for those of you who could come to the nine, uh, there's generally a little bit more space in there, right? So I'll put that out there. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, right? Do, do what seems right to the Lord. Uh, we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 31, <clears throat> right in the middle. We're on our third week of our prayer and fasting, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I don't know where you're at now or what you gave up, but I just want to encourage you uh, pastorally just to push through and to continue to seek the Lord and don't give up now. It's just like working out at the point of tension. Past the point of tension is, is where the real fruit comes. It's where the change comes. So, so it is with your spiritual life. Uh, if you're giving some things up and you're feeling like you're tired of doing that, it's at the very point where you want to stop. That's the very point God wants to grow you. And so keep pushing in. Let's do this together. I hope you're using our guide. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. This is to help you spend time with God every day and also to help unite our hearts around what we're attempting to do these 21 days. If you're new here, I want to say welcome. So glad that you're here. I know God has brought you here for a particular reason, and I pray he reveals himself to you today in a powerful, life-transforming way. If you want to get connected, please come talk to me. Grab a connect card at the end. We'd love to help you on your next steps, whatever that might be. So as we get ready to jump in, I want to remind you of a couple of things we've been saying. The first is that in the presence of the Lord, the victory is won before the battle has begun. We've said that for the last few weeks. As we consider what we're learning and the passage at hand, one of the things we've been learning is that it's all about order. Our whole life is about order. Come first, change second. Come first, change second. And that God is constantly making this invitation to us to come first and to change second. In the presence of the Lord, the victory is won before the battle has begun. And God wants to do things in your life in December that you already won in January. You just didn't know it yet. And this is how the Lord works both in a church but also in your own life. And so let's continue to prioritize getting the order of our life right, pursuing the presence and the power of God, and then letting him work mightily in us and through us. I want to encourage you as well to join us for Immerse this Saturday. 
And so it's the close of our 21 days. It'll be from 9 to 9. It's prayer, scripture reading, worship. Uh, we break our fast at 6 o'clock with the big dinner, all right? So uh, come then, and then uh, we'll sing the night out, and it's going to be an amazing time together. You obviously don't have to be there the whole time. It's very flowy. You come in, come out. We're just going to be doing the same thing over and over again with different scriptures, different songs, different prayers. Uh, if you want to stay all 12 hours, praise God. Awesome. But please come devote some part of your day as we close out our time together of these 21 days. Next week will be our final message in regards to this, but this Saturday is technically the close, so please, please make it a priority to come uh, during part of that. And so let's look at 2 Chronicles 31. What we're going to see today is outcomes. Everybody say outcomes. Outcomes, outcomes. What we're going to see today is about outcomes. The last two weeks we've talked about what does it look like to enter into the presence of God? What does it look like to get ready for God to work in your life? What does it look like to open the doors of your heart once again to God, to prioritize Him above all things, to pursue God above all things, and then to live your life from that place? So what we've learned is what does it look like to open the doors? What does it look like to get the house ready? What does it look like for God to make an invitation for you to come and worship him? What we're going to see today is what happens after all of that. What happens after the house is ready? What happens after God makes the invitation? What happens after a group of people accept the invitation to return to God? What we're going to see is outcomes, outcomes. This is going to be so important for us because so many of you love the mountaintop. You don't know how to navigate the valley. So many of you love the experience. You don't know how to act in discipline. And what we want to say is to see 2021 really be different for you and for our church and for us to really grow is going to require consistency and it's going to require truly living out the outcomes of being in the presence of God. It's not enough to simply enjoy God. We must obey him. And so that's what we're after today. So three outcomes that we see today of being in the presence of God are these. You can go ahead and write them down. A holy life, a consistent life, and a generous life. These are three outcomes of being in the presence of God. So look at 2 Chronicles 31. Let's read verse 1. Now when all of this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah they broke in pieces the pillars, and they cut down the ashram, and they broke down the high places and the altars throughout all of Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. We're going to stop right there for a minute. The first uh, six words of this whole thing is very significant. Now when all this finished... Now when all this finished. What that's talking about is everything that just happened in the last two chapters. The summary of what just happened in the last two chapters is that the work that was necessary to allow the people to be restored to God and fellowship with him, the separation that had happened because of their sin and the difficulty that was causing in their life and in their country was now fixed because... Somebody had made the appropriate sacrifice, and because everything that was needed to be done was done, it was finished. 
Because it was finished, the people were allowed to return. Because they returned, they met with the Lord. They once again found him, and he renewed their hearts to love him. And at that point of enjoying God, they left from that place to go obey God. Because the work was finished, they were allowed to obey. I hope that sounds familiar to those of you who follow Christ. It's the same thing if you flip the pages of Scripture. Jesus comes, the Son of God, who comes to earth. He lives a perfect life, one that you and I could never live. He dies the death that you deserve and I deserve because of our sins on the cross, in our place. And his final words are, who can say it with me? It is finished. It's finished. Finished. And from that place, all the things that were necessary for you to be restored to God have been finished. And now, because of what Jesus has done to restore you, you can accept the invitation to come be with God once again, to be renewed in your relationship to him that has been broken because of sin. And when you come and meet with God, your life changes, and you leave from that place, and you go live different. This is what we're seeing here. It's the same thing. Same thing. Same thing. The work was finished. They met with God. They renewed their love for God. They left and obeyed him. And so it is with us. Jesus says it is finished. And some of you may be entering into 2021 thinking it has begun, but maybe the words you need to know are that it has finished. It's finished. If you live your life based off what you can begin and never based off what Jesus finished, you'll never make it anywhere. It's all because of what Jesus has finished that you can start anything. It's finished. And that's some of the words that some of you need today, this morning, to know that you walked into this room separated from God because of your sin, and Jesus looks at you and says, I've done everything necessary to restore what has been broken. You can come and accept God's invitation to be with him forever in heaven if you would accept my work on the cross. It is finished. So I want to encourage you not to start something that you haven't trusted in that's finished. The word for you maybe isn't it has begun, it's it is finished, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished. Isn't that amazing when you think about everything God did for you, both included your present, your past, your present, and your future sins, the things you haven't even done or committed yet, you should live your whole life thinking it is finished, it's finished. Everything I owed God because of my sin, finished. All the work that was necessary to restore me to God, finished. Not partway done, not halfway there, it's finished. It's finished. Everything you need has already been done for you. It's finished. It's finished. And so many of you are trying to start something without trusting in the finished work of Jesus. Everything you need to live a holy life this year has been finished for you. Everything you need to find satisfaction and joy has already been supplied to you in Christ is finished. The important thing for those of us who follow Jesus is that we don't work to something, we work from something. I don't work to get joy, I work from a place of joy. I don't work to be satisfied, I work from a place of satisfaction. I don't work to please God, I work from a place that God is pleased with me because of Jesus. I work from, not to. And so if you enter into 2021 trying to work to, you're going to be frustrated and going to fall short. Especially those of you who are here apart from Christ, God wants to encourage you this morning that he loves you, he died for you, he rose again, that if you would trust in his finished work, you could finally start your life. Your life hasn't started yet. 
not the real one, not the one that was designed for you, the one that includes a relationship with God. There is no life apart from God. And so maybe you're here and you're saying, I want to get it started, and Jesus looks at you and says, well, I finished it. Do you trust in me? Maybe that's the call for some of you today. What we must see, though, from this scripture and from this word this morning, something for you to write down, a principle from scripture, is that the power for a changed life comes from the presence of Christ. The power for a changed life comes from the presence of Christ. The power for a changed life comes from the presence of Christ. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your self-determination. It doesn't come from your willpower. It doesn't come from your resources. It doesn't come from your resolutions. It doesn't come from a new plan, a great strategy you can execute. It doesn't come from a good book or a brainstorming session. It doesn't come from five steps to be a better this or that. The power for a changed life only comes from one source. It's Jesus. It's his presence. That's why we're so focused this time to say, man, we should live this way, but we're given these 21 days to remind us of what really changes our life. It's not our resolutions. It's the revelation, as we've been saying. And what we're going to see from this as well is that the presence of Christ isn't just the starting point or the source of our motivation. The presence of the Christ is the source of our follow-through. It's the source of our desire and the discipline to follow him. It requires all of those things. The power of a changed life, both to start and to continue, comes from the presence of Christ. And if we ever try to live a changed life apart from pursuit of his presence, we're going to fall short. It's not going to happen. It's the only source, the only source on planet Earth to change your life, the real one. In 2021, listen, your life is not going to be different simply because you become more informed. What you need is not information, it's transformation. And transformation from the Bible comes by revelation. And so if you're living to get information to change your life, you're going to fall short because that information cannot change you. It can give you things you can try to change, but it cannot change you. Information cannot change you. Only transformation, the presence of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ in the scriptures, that is the only thing that can change you from the inside out. You may be able to, on the outside, accumulate enough willpower and self-determination to make minor changes here and there about your habits and lifestyles, but that is not going to change you from the inside out. Information cannot change you. It's transformation that you need. Transformation. Transformation. And it happens in God's presence. You cannot receive transformation apart from revelation. You cannot get revelation apart from God's word. This is what we learn to say, I must dedicate myself to this so that I can be transformed. But some of you are living by new information, a good article, a good piece of advice. You're trying to live by information to say, I'm going to take what 2020 gave me. I'm going to put that in as information. I'm going to apply it to 2021 and maybe get a little bit better. But what you need is not information. You need transformation. That's what Jesus wants to give you in his presence. That's what we want to see from here is the only source of true transformation is the presence of Christ. It's the presence of God himself. Nothing else can change you from the inside out. Nothing else. Nothing else. And maybe some of you are fooling yourselves because you have enough willpower to change the outside. You can get up. You can come to church. You can serve people. Maybe you can give some money away. You can do this. You can do that. You can be nice for the most part. And everything looks good on the outside, but the devil's got you tricked. That's just information, but you need transformation. The real problem, people who have enough information to live right but aren't transformed. And I want you to reflect on your life today. Are you living by information or transformation? 
Has God really transformed your life from the inside out? Or are you doing what you can to change it from the outside? What is your life really like? Where are you really at with God? So there's two areas of application now. If you're here and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've trusted in his life, death, and resurrection for your sins, you must remember the order of a changed life. Remember, the same way you came to him is the same way you live. You come first, change second. In his presence, the victory is won before the battle has begun. Remember the order of a changed life. Prioritize his presence this year. But also, if you're here and you're following Christ, remember, we can't just enjoy him. We must obey him. This is what we see in the scriptures is when they left the experience of God's presence, they went out and tore down every idol. The supernatural response to a revelation of God and to being restored to him again is to go get out everything that has gotten in the way. Let me give you a short summary of what this all means. They just went and they destroyed everything that had gotten in the way of them and God. That's it. If you want to do whatever you want with idols and think about all the different ways you can think about idolatry in your own life, things you love more than God. But I want you to think about what they practically did. They went out into the world around them, into the city around them, into the neighborhoods they lived in, and they said, that has gotten in the way of me and God. That has been something I worshiped that wasn't God. That has led me away from God. I will destroy it. And that's what God's calling you to do. And look what they say here. They destroyed them all. All. All, 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 all. Not some, but all. Oh, man, we're really good at saying yes, God, to about 80% of what he asks us to do. Some. Some. Man, and if we feel committed to God in some way, we feel like that's pretty good. But God's not asking you for some. He's asking you for all. You can't give him some. He expects all. He expects all. All for you. All from you. All for you. You cannot give God some when he has asked you for all. So what is it? You've got to think right now. Remember, a sermon's only as good as you think it through and apply it. What is it? What are you holding back? What is that thing that you haven't let go of yet? If you were to leave from here and God asked you to destroy everything, what would you go do? What habits would you stop? What things would you plead for God's grace on and help for you to transform? What would you go do? What things would you get rid of? What people would you begin to separate from? What? What would you do? What would you get rid of and destroy to get rid of everything? Don't be, don't be satisfied with 80%, 85%, 90%, 95%. God didn't ask for some. He asked for all. And here's what happens. We go and we do some, and we expect the power that comes from if we did all. We go and we do some, and we're frustrated with our level of spiritual growth. We're frustrated with our experience of God. We go and we do some, but we expect results from all. And God says, if you go and you'll give all to me, then he will change all of you. So all, they destroyed all. And look at this, I love this too. Then all the people returned to their cities, first one, every man to his possession. Then they returned to their cities. What does this mean? Well, they went to the temple and they experienced what it was to know God again. They met him in his presence. He poured out his love and spirit on them. They left, and before they even went home, they took care of their business. They wouldn't go home until they had destroyed all. They wouldn't go back to their families until they had destroyed everything. They wouldn't go back to their work until they had destroyed everything. They wouldn't go back into their lifestyle until they had destroyed everything. It was an immediate and an all-consuming response of obedience. And that is what some of God is calling some of you today to say, yes, you truly follow him, but practically you've just given him some and he's asking for all. 
What does that look like for you? And for those of you who are here who aren't followers of Christ, we're so glad that you're here. I hope you hear what God is saying to you this morning, that your efforts to change your own life are from the outside, and they will never change you from the inside. And God wants to do something new for you. You do not need a new plan or a new year, but a new heart. God wants to give you a new heart this morning. If you believe and trust in him, that's what Jesus came to do. You came in here with a new plan. You came in here hoping for a new year, but God came hoping to give you a new heart. Trust him. Receive the forgiveness for your sins. He's made the invitation to you. He's died and risen again for you. Trust him, believe, repent, and follow him. Receive the new heart he wants to give you, and with a new heart, you can live a new life. So holy life, a holy life, a life that is like Jesus, that's what we pursue. That's an outcome of the presence of God. A second outcome is a consistent life, a consistent life. Verse 2, and Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and of the Levites, division by division, each according to his service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings, to minister in the gates of the camp of the Lord to give thanks and praise. The contribution of the king from his own possessions was for the burnt offerings, the burnt offerings of morning and evening, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbath, the new moons, and the appointed feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord, a consistent life. What we're going to see from here is it's really wonderful to have a moment with the Lord. It's really wonderful when the Lord manifests his presence and he shows up. It's wonderful to receive the invitation, but how do we maintain devotion to Christ? How do we maintain ministry to him? How do we maintain a lifestyle devoted to him? This is what the leader Hezekiah was concerned about. He said, this was a really good moment in time. This was a good seven plus seven, 14 days together. This is amazing. God has met us in this place, but now we have to go back to our lives. So how do we maintain the devotion that we experienced here? And Hezekiah said, well, we must put in the appropriate structure so that we can be consistent. So that we can be consistent. This is what he did, and this is what we see in the scriptures, the same thing too. There's this this rhythm of spiritual life from the Old Testament to the New Testament where God sets up a way, a system, by which he gathers a group of people, and then he calls some of them to devote their full-time attention to him on behalf of the people. And so you see here, he goes back. He puts into place the thing they should have been doing the whole time. He gets the priest back, and they come, and they might, here's verse 4, that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. So the goal was for them day and night to minister to the Lord, to bless his name, and to sacrifice on behalf of the people, and to study the law. So they made sure they did everything according to what God has said. And then the Lord said, this ministry needs to be supported. And then you go all the way to the cross of Jesus and the church that comes out of that. And then the apostles are trying to work out what does this new life look like in Christ. Acts 6.4 says, we must devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so now, once again, there's a group of people set apart for God. And then within that group of people, there's a group of people that God has set apart for full-time attention and devotion to him, for minister to him, but then also to serve and bless the people. 
This is how the rhythms of spiritual life work out. I want to make sure you see that from the text because one of the things we want to continue to do is to prioritize the ministry of prayer, the ministry of the word here at this church. And something we've been doing the last 21, or for these 21 days is uh, adding a prayer set during the day and a time of worship and an additional time for us to gather and to pray and to seek the Lord. And so we're thinking about what does it look like to do that more consistently after the 21 days? What kind of things are needed to be in place? What kind of resources need to be there for us to devote more time and attention in our schedules to the Lord and to prayer and what people do we might need to resource to be able to do that. And so as we consider moving forward as a church, I want you to know that as we consider being generous, it is so that we can bless and serve our community and so we can support the ministry to the Lord more consistently here as best we can. It's about consistently, consistency. And you should expect this of your pastors and your leaders to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This is what the scriptures lay out for us. This is what we try to do as best we can. I want you to also see here, not just for the church, but also for yourself, consistency, consistency, consistency. Look what he's doing. He's setting up a system so that they can interact with the Lord daily as the Lord has commanded. This consistency is what's going to grow this relationship. So the question for you and for me is what kind of structure do I have in place to pursue a consistent devotion to Christ? What kind of structure? Now, this is where a plan or, or discipline does come in. By God's grace, ask the Holy Spirit for help. But what kind of structure do I have in place to be consistent with God, to pursue him on a daily basis? Because, once again, so many of us love the mountaintops. We don't know how to navigate the valleys. We don't know how to navigate the regular rhythms of life. And we seek one experience with another. And God's saying it's through consistent devotion and ministry to him that your life is going to transform and change. And without that, it's not going to be there. Consistency, consistency. Now think about this. This is true spiritually, but it's also true for your own life. Consistency is the key to building any of your relationships. Any relationship you have with anyone is anything because of its level of consistency. To the level of consistency you have with someone will be the level of intimacy you experience with them. That's true. You know that's true. Even if you're here, you're not even a follower of Jesus. If you have no spiritual understanding, you know that's true just in life. To say, if I want to build a relationship with someone, I must be consistent. This is why you're at least should be normally closest to the people in your house because you are the most consistent with them. Because you see them the most. Because they're the ones who are with you the most. Whether that's family or friends or roommates or whatever it is, you're generally really close to these people because you are consistent with them. It's consistency that builds intimacy. And you and I know this well. And then we go to our relationship with the Lord and we we expect a microwave mentality to build a relationship with God. We expect to be able to burn it real fast, to get burning in five seconds, you know, to be ready to go, to experience the power and the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit if I give him one minute every day in a devotional app. And to say, man, that one minute's better than nothing, but it's not going to take you where you want to go. Consistency, consistency, consistency. It's one thing to have the desire. It's another thing to implement the discipline. Right? This is probably one of the greatest counseling or pastoral things I, I encounter most of the time is people who earnestly want to desire or who earnestly desire an experience of nearness to God, but who have no discipline implemented in their schedule to be consistent with him. And for some reason, for some reason, we expect to experience a deep relationship with God without a deep involvement with him, which we would never expect of anyone else in our life. Never. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I hope that's a little bit of a, a, 
right? An encouragement, a little bit of a challenge. Because the, the benefit is if, if, if you go and apply more consistency to your walk with God, because of God's word and his promise, I can guarantee you, you will grow in intimacy with him. That's a promise. That's not a wish. That's not a hope. That's not a pipe dream. That's not only for pastors or whatever. God says, man, if you will build consistency with me, I will come and meet you and I will build intimacy with you. That's a promise. James 4, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's a promise. So be challenged maybe, change it a little bit, but receive the promise to say, I want to be close to God and there's a way to get there. So let me build consistency. So I don't know what it is about your schedule, about the structures you have in place that need to change. And maybe for some of you parents to think about how are you structuring consistency with the Lord in your home? What does it look like for your children to be raised in a place that prioritizes God's presence and God's word? Are you building consistent habits in the lives of your children? And for those of you who are living wherever, are you building consistent habits in your own life and the lives that you live with, the people that you live with? Do we have consistent habits to grow? Consistency will build your intimacy brick by brick, day by day, minute by minute, you'll build a relationship with God, a real one, a deep one, and it'll do you much good. So consistency. So the presence of God, the outcome of the presence of God is a holy life, and it's a consistent life. Finally, the outcome of the presence of God is a generous life, a generous life. Look at verse 5. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field. They brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God. And they laid them in heaps. In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps. And you get that? So within three months, they had nowhere else to put stuff. They didn't finish gathering stuff until the seventh month. Verse 8, when Hezekiah and the princes came, they saw the heaps. They blessed the Lord and all his people. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest, who was of the house of Zadok, answered him, Since they began to bring the contributions into the house of, of the Lord, we have eaten and had enough and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed this people so that we have this large amount left. So a generous, a generous life. Write this down. A heart that is happy in God creates hands that are open to God. A heart that is happy in God creates hands that are open to God. A heart that is happy in God creates hands that are open to God. The, the obedience and the generosity of chapter 31 doesn't come out of nowhere, nor does it come out of a command. Just a command. There is a command. The source of the call is the fact that they had been with God. On top of being with God, now comes the call of obedience and generosity. Because the, their experience with God had been so good, and the obedience was unto the sake of God, him, they were excited and ready. Open hands. A heart happy in God creates open hands to God. But listen, so many of us, whatever you're at, whether you're trying to live a good life apart from Jesus, or whether you call yourself a follower of Christ and you're trying to do the right thing all the time, you're trying to, to create an open-handed life without a happy heart. That's why you're so frustrated. I mean, you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to serve. You're trying to give some money away. You're trying to, trying to come to church. You're trying to do all that. You're trying to do the, the right thing. You're trying to create an open-handed life, but without a happy heart in God. And to do those things requires a lot of effort to say, oh, I really got to 
I know I'm supposed to do this, you know? It makes me think of like my kids when one of them will steal a toy from another uh, and they'll hold it in their hand, you know? And I'm like, okay, hey, you can't do that, all right? Like, be nice to your brothers. You can't steal from them. You need to give it back, you know? What do kids do usually? No, you know? I'm like, okay, here we go. Uh, You need to give it back. I want you to do it of your own accord. This was the wrong thing. You should say I'm sorry and give it back. You know, here and there, there's bright moments they'll do that, but most of the time it requires more effort. And so eventually I'll say, if you don't give it back, I'm going to have to take it from you and give it to them, and then I'm going to go deal with you. You're going to be in trouble. It's going to be a problem. And so they'll say, you know, they're still holding on strong. They're still holding on strong, right? And so you parents who really recognize this, right, or teachers maybe, they, they hold it like this, and they won't let go. And so what do you do? You're like, um, okay, I'm just, I'm stronger than you. I'm just going to take it from you. You said, I gave you a chance. All right. So they're in there like, you're like, oh, you know, you pull one finger up and you're like, oh, you pull another one. And they're like still holding on. They're like, oh, you're like, oh, you know, then they let it go. And then you grab it, you give it away. Uh, and sometimes that's how we are with God is that it takes so much effort and so much uh, to open our hands to release things to him. Why? Because we spend so much time working on open hands when we should have been working on a happy heart. A happy heart. A happy heart. Now listen, once again, this is just like the earlier example. You already know this. This isn't just spiritual. This is the way you are made to say, think about a good memory. Think about a time when you were like on cloud nine. Think about a time like when you just felt good about life, you know, feeling good. Think about a time when it was like that. I don't know if it's like a first kiss, you know, or you got that big job and whatever it was, when you just felt like, wow, the world is working out for me right now. This is amazing. This is great. You know, it's that, you know that feeling right there? Now, when you, when you were in that state, would you have begrudged people? If somebody asked you for anything, what do you think you would have done? What do we do when we feel that way? Sure. Whatever. I'm just happy. You want my, everything I have? Sure. Like, that's great. I just can't believe I just met this girl. I just, whatever you want. I don't care. You, just, you know, like, this is how we feel. When we're content and happy, we're free. And what do we do when we're free? We give time, energy, treasures, and it comes naturally to us. And that happens just because that's the way we're made. When I'm feeling good about life, I'm so much more eager to be generous. Now, when I live that way based off life, then circumstances go up and down, right? Good, the person was nice to me, the person is mean to me. This relationship worked out, this didn't work out. I got this job, I didn't get this job. I have good health, I don't have good health. And the circumstances go like this, and so our generosity and our eagerness to serve other people goes up and down because our circumstances do. And when we feel content and happy, we're free. But when we feel like we're lacking, we're empty. And then God comes along, and he doesn't change. So if we find our contentment and happiness in him, now we're stable. This is the life God has asked you to join him in. Not that you would be perfect or never struggle with discontentment, of course not, but that you would have roots and that you would have some stability in the presence of God because your circumstances may change, your life may change, and things will be good and bad, but God is always good. So, If you can get to the point where your heart is happy in God who never changes, then how freely would you live? This is what we're saying, right? If I'm full and someone asks me for something, I have nothing, yeah, I'm nothing to hold on to. I'm full. That's why I give. But if I feel empty and I lack and somebody asks me for something, I begrudge and I don't want to do it. 
You see what I'm saying? So whenever the command comes to go live a certain way from the Lord, whether it's to be generous or anything else, if we're feeling empty because we don't have a happy heart in him, we'll begrudge that. And having open hands will take a lot of effort or it won't happen at all. Or God in his mercy will come, pull our fingers back, say, this isn't good for you. You need to do the right thing. He'll take it from us. And that's what he does so often in our lives. But if we're full in him and our hearts and we work and we put in the effort to be consistent with him, to know him more and to grow in our, in our knowledge of God, to understand the scriptures and to be around God's people, if we put in the consistency to grow, then our heart becomes happy in him. And then the call to come serve or give your life away or move or give or whatever, we're like, yes. This is what's happening here. Their encounter with Jesus was so profound that the only response that made any sense was to give away freely. Because look, the call goes out. I love verse 5. As soon as the command was spread, the people gave in abundance. Look at that. As soon as it was spread. So immediately, they gave in abundance abundantly. Because God had been so abundantly good to them, their, their response was to be so abundantly generous to him. It only makes sense to say, wow, God has been so nice and kind and good to me. He's restored me to him. The work is finished. He's offered me a second chance. The invitation has been made. He came and he met with us, and it was amazing. And God says he wants to live this way with us every day. And if we'll set up these systems and structures, God will meet with his people. So yes, now the command comes to give generously so I can support the work of God so that he can come meet with us. Then the response is easy. Easily, yes, 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 yes. Immediately and abundantly, immediately and abundantly. And I think those are probably two words the Lord is asking many of you in response to his presence, in response to time with him, in response to this series, the preparation of consecration, is obedience immediately and abundantly. Immediately and abundantly. Immediately and abundantly. To not settle for giving him some, but to give him all. And the Lord will really, really meet you in that place. This is what real giving looks like. I hope you see that. Not because a pastor asked you to, not, but not even because somebody needs it. That's a good reason. True, true generosity comes from a heart happy in God. That's where it really comes from. And that all starts with his presence. Your heart can't be happy if you don't spend time with him. So write this down. To get the motivation, you have to accept the invitation. It's the same thing. It's a different way to say come first, change second. I just want to do as much as I can to plug that church. If, if all you left from this whole thing was you actually went and you lived that truth, come first, change second, I would be so happy. If you took every sermon I ever preached in this series and you didn't remember a thing I said except come first, change second, and you went and lived and pursued the presence of God, because to get the motivation to change your life and to live differently, you must receive the invitation of God to come. If you do not receive the invitation to come, you won't have the motivation to go. Or you'll do it in your own strength, and it'll fall short, and it'll be frustrating. So this is what God says with these categories we've laid out today. He says, come and experience the power and the presence of God, and then go and pursue holiness and tear down the idols in your life. Get rid of everything that's getting in the way between you and him. Come. And he says, come and experience the presence and power of God, and then go and put structure in your life so that you can be consistent and keep the fire burning. He says, come and experience the power and presence of God, and then go and give generously with your time, your energy, and your treasures to advance the work of God. Come first, change second. Come and then go. Go live a holy life. Go live a consistent life. Go live a generous life. Now as we close, look at verse 20. 
Hezekiah did this throughout all of Judah. He did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandment seeking his God, he did with all his heart and he prospered. That's the phrase, that's the phrase. He did this with all his heart. Remember, God's not asking for some, he's asking for all. Fully surrendered to him. When we give God all of our heart, he will change all of our life. You have to believe that. When we give God all of our heart, he will change all of our life. And we know this is true because God gave us all of him, because Jesus came and gave his life for you and for me. He gave all of himself on the cross so that we could in return give all of ourselves to him. This is how it works, all for all. And God is inviting you into that this morning. Maybe some of you for the first time, the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart. Receive the invitation to trust and believe in Jesus. He's calling you to himself. Open the door. Let him in to change your life. Receive, repent, trust, follow. And for many of you, it's a reminder, come first, change second. God wants your heart. You want to give God your heart, all your heart, not just some, all. And live the life God has called you to live. Let there be outcomes manifested in our life and in our community because we were a people dedicated to the presence of God. And let that be your source and your motivation to continue to walk with him and to follow through with a holy life, a consistent life, and a generous life in response to him. Let me pray for us. Well, Heavenly Father, we love you, we love you, we love you. Let's just thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that say you did not spare your own son, but you willingly gave him up for us all, that in him, Lord, we might receive redemption and forgiveness of sin. You've given all to us, Lord, and so we respond by giving all to you, God. We ask that you would tear down the idols in our life, that you would be the source and the motivation of our obedience, Lord, that we would come first and change second, God. Don't let it be a, just a sermon or a talk, Lord. Please drive it into our hearts, Lord, starting with me, my own heart. I know my heart, Lord. Please, God, come first, change second. God, help us to live that way. And would you empower us by your spirit to go change the world around us and the cities around us and tear down the idols and bring light because we started with you, your presence. Help us to be a people who live in the right order, God, the right order. We ask for your help and by your spirit, give us grace and mercy to follow through with this, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, why don't you stand and respond with us? Uh, kind of as we did last week, too, I just want to say that the altar is open. If you feel like a response to the Lord to lay something down here is appropriate, I will also be down front if you need to pray. Uh, eventually, we'll take communion, but over these next minutes, Please don't go through the motions. Let's respond to Jesus himself as a person who's calling you into something. And so whether you need to come down front, come pray, or be where you are, uh, let's all respond to the Lord together.